Yeah, as I was listening to them this morning, I thought that um, God came up with this great idea uh, to create the church in such a way where uh, He gifted each and every one of us uniquely and differently, and we get to serve in the ways that He has gifted. And when we do that, we experience His joy. So, and and we're we're living that out as as a people, which is really cool because God's not just an idea guy; He's got really good follow through. And so uh, we get to experience that as a people, which is really cool. Uh, If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. We are uh, three weeks into our series in the book of Colossians. Colossians was written by a man by the name of the Apostle Paul. He wrote from prison uh, to a small little church who was experiencing some uh, challenges because there was a weird teaching kind of going throughout the church body that was saying that you kind of have it, you needed to have a special knowledge uh, to really know God. And they had a corner on truth. And so Paul writes to this little church in many ways to correct them. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians 1. If you don't have a a Bible, you can pull out your phone or device. You can follow along uh, that way. You can go to YouVersion under events and look for our little church and you'll be able to find an outline of the message today. Or Uh, you can follow along on the screen. Um, So you have options, and options are a good thing. So um, Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, I want to read, or beginning in verse 1, I'm going to read this, uh, and then we're going to pray. Paul writes and says, And so from the day we have heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, uh, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. Would you pray with me? Uh, If you would, take a moment and you pray for you. You know you better than I know you, and so take a minute this morning and pray for you. And if I could be so bold, would you uh, pray for me? Would you ask that God would give me clarity of of thought and of mind that uh, the words that you hear this morning might be helpful to you uh, for where you are uh, right now? God, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you have uh, spoken to us uh, through your son and by your spirit. Thank you that your word is living and active. It just means that you still use it today to change hearts and lives. And so I pray that you would do that this morning. Uh, Lord, thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather as your people. I pray that your spirit would teach us, would lead us, and guide us. And I pray that you would do it for your name's sake. Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. About 20 years ago, Melissa and I had just moved to Michigan. I had graduated from seminary in Dallas, Texas, 
and we were in need of adding a vehicle to our fleet. Uh, We were a one-car family, and uh, we needed another vehicle uh, for me to be able to get to and from church. And so I did a lot of research, and I priced out some new vehicles, and I found one that was going to work for us. It was a 1987 Oldsmobile. It was white. It cost $500. It was by far the worst car ever. And when I say it was the worst car ever, I don't mean that it was the worst car ever that I owned. I mean it was the worst car ever. It was a terrible vehicle. Um, This car made Fred Flintstone's car look like a Tesla. I mean, it was horrible. It had so many problems. One of the problems that this vehicle had uh, was that the driver's side door did not open. And so every time I needed to get in the car, I had to go over to the passenger side door and crawl over so I could get behind the steering wheel. It was like an episode of Dukes of Hazard without the excitement. Uh, When I drove this car, I could actually see the road. Um, Not by looking out the windshield, mind you, but by actually looking through the floorboard. Um, I could see the road zip by. But perhaps the greatest problem that I faced with my 1987 white Oldsmobile was that the gas gauge didn't work. The gas gauge didn't work. Now listen, I'm not a car guy. Uh, Maybe some of you here are also not car people. So I'm going to explain to you the significance of not having a gas gauge that works. You don't know how much gas you have in the car, right? So if you don't know how much gas you have in the car, guess what happens? You run out of gas. So yours truly ran out of gas multiple times. And I have to tell you, I prided myself in never running out of gas. I don't know anything about cars. I can't rotate the tires. I can't change the oil. I can't fix anything that breaks. But by golly, I can put gas in a car. Unfortunately, I found myself on multiple occasions calling my friends, telling them that I was stalled on a country road in West Michigan, and I needed them to come rescue me uh, with some gas. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking to yourself, James, why didn't you just put gas in the car every few days so you wouldn't run out? Uh, To which I would reply, uh, keep your ideas to yourself, okay? (laughs) And so uh, on a couple of occasions, I called my friends. They came, rescued me put gas in the car, and off I went. Uh, When you don't know how much gas is in your car, when your gas gauge is broken, uh, your vehicle does not run smoothly. Uh, Some of us this morning, I'm afraid, uh, might have another gauge um, that is not working properly, and it is our gratitude gauge. Uh, Some of us this morning uh, might be a little low on gratitude, And so I want to encourage us through Paul's words uh, to be grateful to God. And so I want to draw your attention to Colossians uh, chapter 1 again. And I want to read verses 12 through 14 because we're going to camp out here this morning. It says, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so Paul uh, writes to this little church experiencing all kinds of problems and reminds them, I want you to be a people who are grateful. 
I want your hearts to be full of gratitude. I want you to be a people who oftentimes uh, give thanks. Thanks flows out of our hearts uh, when we are reminded of the goodness and the grace of God. Uh, We are a thankful people when we realize that everything that we have in life has been given to us by God and we don't deserve it. When we understand that, when we are reminded of that, a gratitude flows in us. Right? We become a grateful people. We become a joy-filled people. We become a contented people. Right? But the opposite of, of that is true as well. When we think we've missed out on something in life, when we think we've been given a raw deal, when we assume that we deserve something that we haven't been given, uh, then we become a people whose lives are marked by sadness or jealousy or anger or resentment or loss or depression. And so Paul is going to write to this little church in Colossae, and he is going to remind them uh, to be grateful. And he does that uh, by reminding them of three massive Uh, theological truths uh, that literally change their lives and the trajectory of their lives forever. Um, It is true in life uh, that we should be grateful uh, for the little things uh, and also the big things. Sometimes it's easy for us to focus on the little things. Um, Last week, Melissa and I drove to Michigan. Melissa's grandfather, step-grandfather, had passed away a few weeks ago. He was 96 years old. His name was Stan Melissa's uncle at the funeral was sharing about Stan's life and things that uh, he taught the family, and he told this story about a time when uh, Melissa's uncle took Stan to a restaurant in Wisconsin, and they had a great meal, and after uh, the meal was consumed, they ordered dessert. They ordered an an apple uh, strudel, and as Stan was eating the apple strudel, he was reminded of the apple strudel that his mom made when he was just a little kid. And Melissa's uncle looked up, and there was a little tear streaming down Stan's face. Uh, he was grateful. He was thankful uh, for the gift of apple strudel. Amen and amen. Right? Uh, we should give thanks for the little things in life. But, but Paul here in Colossians chapter 1 is writing about some massive things. He is writing about some things that are audacious and life-altering, eternity-changing. And so he points out three things, three reasons to be grateful. Uh, The first uh, reason that Paul notes is that we should be grateful because God has qualified you. It says in verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Who qualifies you to share in what God has promised his children? You ever think about that? Uh, Who or what qualifies you uh, to share in the inheritance that is God? Have you ever wrestled before with am I qualified? Have you ever asked that question? Like when you're a student and you're thinking about colleges and you're filling out that college application, and you're looking at your grades and your test scores and your extracurricular activities, and you send out that application in the mail, maybe you've thought to yourself, I wonder if I'm qualified. In other words, I wonder if I have what it takes to be accepted into that university. Have you ever thought that before when you've applied for a job? 
Have you ever thought to yourself, does my uh, experience, does my uh, education, do my connections, do they qualify me for this role that I am pursuing? Maybe you've thought that after you've been hired and you've thought to yourself, am I really qualified to do this? Do I have what it takes? I think all of us, if we were honest with ourselves, have probably thought that at some point in our lives. We've wrestled with the question, am I qualified? You ever, you ever asked that question about you and God? Have you ever thought to yourself, am I qualified? Am I qualified? What qualifies you in your relationship with the Lord? It, it can't be a squeaky clean record. None of us have one of those. Read every character in Scripture and you will find individuals, men and women, with skeletons in the closet. It can't be our squeaky clean record that qualifies us. It can't be a, an impressive spiritual resume. I mean, Paul, the one who wrote Colossians, at one point shares his spiritual resume with others and compares all of his so-called spiritual accomplishments with, like, a pile of trash. It can't be that that qualifies us before the Lord. It can't be our talent or our good looks. I mean, you're a talented and good-looking bunch, but it can't be that. Scripture says that God is, is unimpressed with the outward appearance. And he cares about the heart. And so what is it that qualifies us uh, for God? Well, Paul tells us, uh, the one who qualifies us before God is God. Um, God qualifies us. God declares that you and I are qualified to share in his inheritance. He declares it. He declares it. He says that it is so. There's this great scene from a very non-spiritual show called The Office uh, when uh, Michael, it is, I'm not recommending it. It's just, this particular scene is funny. I'm going to tell you about it. Uh, but there's a scene where Michael is in the break room and he's with, uh, with one of the characters, Creed, and Creed is having a conversation with Michael, and he looks over and he says, uh, hey, cuz, I heard you were having money problems, to which Michael replies, no, you didn't. And Creed says, listen, I got the answer. I got the answer. You declare bankruptcy, all your problems go away. He says, bankruptcy is nature's do-over. It's a fresh start. It's a clean slate, to which Michael replies, kind of like the witness protection program. And... <laughs> And Creed says, exactly. And Oscar, who is overhearing this conversation, says, no, not at all. Not at all. So what does Michael do? Michael leaves the break room. He goes out into the open office like this with everyone talking and working. And he says at the top of his lungs, I declare bankruptcy. And he walks back into his office and he closes the door. And moments later, Oscar um, comes to his office and walks into his office and says to him, uh, hey, Michael, I just wanted you to know that you can't just say the word bankruptcy and expect anything to happen. To which Michael replied, I didn't say it. I declared it. <laughs> right? Um, you can't just say it and expect anything to happen. But God can. God can. God can speak. And it is so. And so God declared, God declared that his kids are righteous. God declared that his kids are forgiven. God declared that his uh, kids are qualified, that they are fit, 
This word in the New Testament, qualified, means something that is unfit, becoming fit. Oftentimes, Paul uses it in context of uh, his past, saying that I was unfit to be an apostle, or I was unfit to be one of God's kids, and God made me fit. This is what God does. He takes the unfit, and he declares that it is fit. And God still does that uh, today. He does that right now. So Paul writes to the little church, maybe a church like ours, and says, give thanks to God, because God has uh, declared, he has declared that you are qualified. He goes, another reason uh, to give thanks. Uh, Paul says, give thanks to God because God has delivered you. Verse 13 says, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Paul says, give thanks. You are part of another kingdom. You're part of another world. Uh, The domain of darkness was our reality, but now we are a part of God's kingdom. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I read uh, verses in scripture and I think to myself, that maybe sounds a little weird. Like it, it sounds a little Lord of the Rings-esque, right? You, you read a verse like that, and at least for me, I almost think of this, this fantasy world, right? Where I'm going like domain, and we don't, we don't talk like this. You don't ask someone how they're doing, and, and they reply to you, well, it's been a tough week in the domain of darkness, but, you know, just looking forward to the weekend. Pe- people don't talk like that. And yet, Scripture paints this picture that, that there is another world, a world that we don't see. There is activity that, uh, that we don't see with the naked eye that, that's taking place in the world. Right? There, there are things that we can't explain or things that are happening that would leave us kind of scratching our heads a little bit and going, what's that all about? The Apostle Paul in Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verse 1 Uh, paints a picture of this kingdom. He says in verse 1 of Ephesians 2, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, uh, following the course of the world, uh, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature uh, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And so Paul's like, there was a domain of darkness. There's there's a world where we just followed our passions. We followed our hearts. We chased after whatever it is that we wanted in the moment. But he says in verse 4, God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Isn't that beautiful? There's these two worlds that we don't see. But if you were to watch the news, if you were to pick up the paper, if you were to follow on social media, you would read about a darkness that causes some people not to value other people, to say, I'm better than you. You will read about a darkness that divides families, and friends. You, you will read and maybe see about a darkness that manip- manipulates, uh, manipulates a people and props up the proud and the arrogant. You will read about a darkness that brings divisiveness and depression. You will read about a darkness that leads to addiction or brokenness or shame. Right? We, we see these things. We experience these 
things, sometimes on a daily basis. And Paul is saying that, um, that, that God has picked us up from one kingdom and placed us into another kingdom. And now we are part, by faith, of the kingdom where Jesus uh, rules and reigns. We have, we have traded the harsh rule of the prince of darkness for the wise and sovereign and loving hand of God's son, Jesus. Um, this is the new reality of, of the people of God. This is true uh, for those who place their faith in Jesus. And so Paul writes this little church and says, uh, thanks be to God. Give God thanks because he has qualified you to share in his inheritance. And he has delivered you into the kingdom of his son. And then he gives one more reason. Did you notice it in verse 14? He says, give thanks to God because God has redeemed you. Verse 14 says, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. A couple weeks ago as I was w walking through this passage, uh, my plan was to, to preach verses 9 through 14, that, that whole little passage right there. Um, but I, I didn't make a mistake, but I started reading this book called The Epic of Eden. Uh, 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 Susan uh, Richter, I believe, is the, is the author, and she talks about um, the Old Testament and how does the Old Testament fit together. And she um, talks at great length about this word redemption. And quite honestly, it just stopped me in my tracks. Redemption is a Bible word, right? If, if you read through the New Testament, you'll come across this word uh, a handful of times. I think of uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. It says, knowing that you were ransomed or redeemed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus, like a lamb without blemish or spot, uh, Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. And so we, we read about this, this word in the New Testament, but um, actually, if you were to read through the Old Testament, you would read about this word quite a bit, um, this idea of redemption. And sometimes we, we can struggle with Bible words as kind of Western uh, people, Western Christians or believers, because some of the concepts that we read about in the Old Testament or the New Testament um, are foreign to us, right? They, they took place um, two, three, four thousand years ago. And so we struggle to wrestle and understand what this means. Our culture is a bureaucratic culture. Their culture uh, was a tribal culture. And in a tribal culture, um, a family was reliant uh, upon a patriarch in their family. There, there was someone kind of on top of the food chain that was responsible for loving and providing and caring for and protecting the family. Family was so important uh, to them. Family was essential um, for living for their tribe. If your tribe or if your family was going to thrive as a people, uh, you needed someone over you who was protecting you and providing for you and caring for you. And so this relationship for them uh, was essential. Admittedly, we think about that and read about it, and it's, it's different for us. We, we care about the family, right? We love our family, but we also kind of crack some jokes about our family sometimes. We're not always as reliant upon our families now as they were uh, then. But in Israel, um, family was central if they were to flourish in life. Uh, for us, it's kind of on uh, the outskirts. It's secondary. Uh, in the Bible, redemption was linked uh, to the responsibility of a patriarch uh, to his household and clan. So redemption was kind of the responsibility 
of the patriarch of a family. And I want to I want to illustrate this by uh, telling us a story from the Old Testament this, this morning uh, that paints a picture of what redemption really looked like. Uh, if you're uh, familiar with the, with the Old Testament, this story uh, might be familiar to you. Uh, if you're new to church, maybe you've never heard it before. Uh, but I want to tell you this story. It's from the book of Hosea. Uh, Hosea is admittedly one of those books that we don't always spend a ton of time in. Um, But it's a story about a man, a godly man, uh, who was a prophet uh, over the northern kingdom of Israel. He was God's man for the job, and God used Hosea, this man, uh, to paint a picture, to be an illustration uh, for a watching world. Uh, One day God told Hosea, um, I'm going to use you to do something very unique and special. I'm going to use you as a, a real live illustration. And so this is what God told Hosea to do in Hosea chapter 1, verse 2. Um, It says, when God first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go take uh, yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. Now, I read that, I probably should have warned you. This is kind of PG-13, a little bit. Um, This verse... Uh, you will not see on a coffee mug. Um, if your kids are doing like a Bible memory program, like Hosea 1-2 is not going to be on there. Uh, when you go to the Panthers game this next year and, and you're in the end zone, you will not see this behind the goalpost. Nobody does this. Nobody does this, right? It's one of those verses that you read and it makes you blush a little bit. It's, it's something that you kind of want to hide the kids from. But, but this is what God told Hosea to do. He said, listen, Hosea, I want you to go and I want you... I'm so glad that all of our young children just came back. Um, how can I clean this up? So, so <laughs> I did not plan this. So God told Hosea, I want you uh, to marry a woman uh, with a sketchy past. And so uh, Hosea decides that he's going to find himself a wife. Uh, But he doesn't go on to Christian Mingle. He doesn't go to to the singles group at the megachurch in town. Um, He goes to the red light district. And he finds himself a wife. Now, you you have to understand, his his wife, her name was Gomer, Um, there would have been no one offering her protection in that society. There was no patriarch over her, protecting her or providing for her. She would have brought shame to her family. And so she she literally would have been used and abused and discarded. She had no hope. And so Hosea goes and he chases after her. And he says, I'm going to take you as my wife. And he brings her home and they start a family. They have three children together. Right? This story, if it were to end there, would be the perfect story to tell on Sunday morning. I mean, when you see the hand of the Lord changing a human heart, I mean, you would celebrate this story. You would put it on the church website. You would invite people from the community to hear uh, what God had done. But uh, the human heart is a fickle thing. And even though Gomer had experienced a life that she had never experienced before, 
uh, one day she decided to tap out and she returned to her old way of life. Uh, She went back to the life that she had known. She left the loving embrace of her husband uh, for people that she didn't even know. Eventually, uh, she hit rock bottom. Sin does this in our lives. Sin over-promises and under-delivers. And she experienced that. And so one day, she finds herself um, literally up for sale in the town square. And so God says to Hosea, um, hey, Hosea, I got a plan. Um, You know your wife, Um, the unfaithful one, uh, the one that left you, uh, the one that brought shame to your family? I want you to go get her. I want you to go get her, and I want you to buy her back. The Lord said in Hosea chapter 3, Go again and love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn uh, to other gods. So Hosea finds himself in the public square and in the presence of the townspeople and neighbors, uh, bidding on uh, the mother to his children and bidding on his own wife. Um, That is redemption. That is redemption. It is the patriarch, um, at great cost to himself, uh, chasing after, chasing after uh, someone who had strayed. Um, This story, the story of Hosea and Gomer, is not just an Old Testament story. Um, This is our story. Because this story is about an unfaithful people who have been wooed uh, by a good and gracious and loving God, uh, who have fleed um, to look for joy in places where it cannot be found. Um, This story uh, is our story. And the very cool thing about this story is just as Hosea went and chased after Gomer, uh, God uh, chases after us. I want to read Colossians chapter 1 to you again, and I want you to think about these words in the context of that story. Paul writes to the church and says, give thanks to God the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This morning, give thanks to God because God has qualified you. Uh, Give thanks to God because God has delivered you. And give thanks to God because God has redeemed you. Uh, May God uh, fill up uh, your gratitude tank this morning. Would you pray with me? Father God, we give you thanks for uh, these massive truths that literally change us forever. Uh, There is so much that we have to be thankful for. We we want to go out of our way to give you thanks for uh, those things, but particularly today we are thankful uh, for the good work that you have done in drawing us to yourself. Church, right now, just spend a moment in prayer with the Lord and give him thanks. God, this morning we uh, give you thanks. Uh, We thank you for uh, the good work that you have done in our hearts and lives. Thank you that because of Jesus, because of his perfect life and death and resurrection, uh, that we can be qualified as your people. Thank you that you've redeemed us, that you've uh, picked us up from one kingdom and placed us 
uh, in another. Lord, we give you thanks that at great cost uh, to yourself, the cost of your son, uh, you have redeemed us. You've called us your own. You call us sons and daughters uh, when we place our faith in your son, Jesus. Uh, Lord, if there's folks here who haven't done that, I pray that they would do that this morning and they would experience the joy and privilege of being called your son or your daughter. Uh, Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for loving us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen. Uh, church family, God bless you. Thanks so much for being with us this morning. Uh, next Sunday, it's Mother's Day. Um, we're going to continue our series in Colossians. Uh, invite someone to come. Uh, we'd love to uh, meet uh, new faces. If you are new to Christ Point, I'd love for an opportunity uh, to spend a minute with you after the service. The kids are done with me. I'm talking, but they're like, whatever. They're running up the stairs. We've lost, we've lost control. God bless you. See you next week at 1030.